We've been going through what is normally called the Lord's Prayer and learning any principles we can from it. I'm going to start in verse 9 and we will read verse 9 through 15. We'll finish that up today. We've been in it a couple weeks before today. We'll finish up today. So let's, let's look in verse 9 of chapter 6 of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let me pray over these verses this morning. God, again, we come to you and thank you for prayer. We thank you. It's your idea for us to communicate with you. And so we thank you for making a way through Jesus Christ that we can boldly enter the throne room of grace, pour out our hearts to you, and communicate with you, have a relationship with you. So I pray today that you would teach us. Thank you for giving us this model for which we can apply to our lives and and talk with you. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you remember when you were younger, or maybe when your kids were younger, that uh, you might have had trouble coloring? That is, you had a picture in a coloring book, and you liked to color, but maybe you had trouble keeping in the lines. Or maybe you weren't using the, the right colors, whether what's right, I don't know, but you know, you're coloring people purple instead of people colors, I guess. I don't know. Maybe some of us still have trouble getting staying in the lines. But when, when children start to color, they have, they have a couple of problems. One, sometimes they choose inappropriate colors. And once they choose, choose the colors, they have trouble staying in the lines. And as we mature... We, we begin to maybe know what might be more appropriate. If we want to reflect reality, we, we choose maybe more appropriate colors. We, we might stay within the boundary. And it pre- presents then a more satisfying picture. And, and listen, as, as children of our Heavenly Father, sometimes our prayer life resembles that of the coloring of, of children. That sometimes we might, we might not know exactly what to pray or how to pray or pray within the guidelines of his will. And sometimes we're coloring outside the lines. We're praying outside the boundaries sometimes simply because we just don't know better. But as we mature in Christ, as we grow in Christ, it it becomes more satisfying. It, It becomes more within the boundary of his will. It becomes more appropriate. And that's what we're learning today. That's what we've been learning for the last couple of weeks is Jesus himself 
God in the flesh came down and says, when you pray, here's, here's a way to do so. Here's, here's kind of the outline picture. And then you color it in with things that are appropriate. And, you know, learning to communicate in any relationship is integral to that relationship. How you talk to your children is not how you talk to your spouse, is not how you talk to your boss. Knowing how to communicate in that particular relationship enhances that relationship, and that's the same with prayer. Prayer is a discipline that we learn, and as we mature in Christ, we, we know more appropriately how to address our, our Father in heaven, and then that, that communication becomes better, and it, and it helps mature that relationship. And so that's what Jesus is teaching us here. If, uh, just as a reminder of where we've been, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men so that you can be rewarded by men instead of, of people. He says, Otherwise, you'll have no reward with your Father in heaven. That's kind of the basis or, or the theme of what we've been covering. And first he talked about giving, to make sure we're giving with the right motive, to give authentically. And then he talks about prayer. He, he, he first talked about what the Pharisees and scribes did. They go out on the street corners and pray so everyone could see them and say, look how spiritual these guys are. And he says, they have their reward in full. But instead, he says, this is how you should pray. And then next he'll move on to fasting, which is what we'll cover uh, next week, maybe the next couple weeks. And so he's talking about what the scribes and Pharisees consider righteousness, giving to the poor, praying and fasting. And he says, if you're going to do these things, here's the way to do it authentically instead of for a show for other people. And that's what we've been looking at. And we've said, you can see in your bulletin, just a reminder, that authentic prayer should start with a recognition of God's character. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. It starts with looking at God and who He is and what He can accomplish. Authentic prayer should express a desire for the advancement of God's rule. Your kingdom come. We want more and more people in this world to submit to the leadership and the lordship of Christ. And then authentic prayer should submit to the will of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will in heaven is done perfectly, and our prayers should express a desire, God, it's not my will, but your will. Authentic prayer lifts up physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the, what we need today to get through today. Don't know if I'm going to make it through tomorrow or not. But today, I need God to take care of me. And I need what I need today. And so it lifts up physical needs. It also admits spiritual needs. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. The idea that it's asking God to forgive us in the same manner that we forgive others, which might be convicting for, for some of us. It is for me to say, okay, I need to allow, I, I realize I have a spiritual need. I need to be forgiven. I have sin in my life, and I want that forgiveness then to flow out to other people. That's where we've covered so far. And we're going to look at two final aspects of the Lord's Prayer today. And, and so next, we're going to see, first of all, that authentic prayer realizes complete dependence on God. It says this, 
Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil in verse 13. Final request of the Lord's Prayer is to not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, the word temptation here is literally the word test. God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't say, here's the sin in your life, and I'm going to lead you into that temptation to see if you're really strong. He doesn't tempt us to sin, but he does test us. James 1, 13 through 15 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Saying that God doesn't tempt us, our flesh does. The evil one tempts us. And, and when we give in to that temptation, it is on us. It's not God's fault. And the devil didn't make you do it. It is, it is, it is our, it's on us, is what James is saying. God isn't the one who tempts us. But he does test us. And he tests us to see what's really inside of us. Because Scripture says our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And no one can know it, but God knows it. And so we think, I'm this way. Think, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty righteous. I do good things. And then God tests us. And stuff starts coming out of us that we didn't know was in us. First Peter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. See, these verses affirm that God's not going to lead us into temptation to sin, but He tests us to prove our faith, to make us stronger, to deal with what's inside of us. So the request here, lead us not into temptation, is is a request not to fall into, into, into trials so that because, because I might fail. Here's, here's the deal. You ever say, God, I, I don't want to go through this trial. Anyone ever say that? I don't want to go through this hard thing in my life. That's what this prayer is saying. Lord, lead me not into temptation. God, don't test me, please. I don't think I can handle it. See, the one who prays the Lord's Prayer is not the spiritually strong or the super holy. The one praying is admitting how weak I am. God, I don't want to go through this trial because there's a good chance I'm going to fail and sin, and I don't want to do that because I am so incredibly weak, so I have to depend wholly on God. That's what the prayer is. Lead me not into temptation. Maybe that's been your prayer as well. They're, they're saying, God, it's not they're saying, God, I want you to prove my faith. 
That's not the prayer. The prayer is, please don't put me to the test because I don't think I'm going to make it through. And so I need to fully depend upon God. I would assume that resonates with most here. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Because listen, this is what Jesus did as well. We talked a little bit about this last week. Matthew 26, 39. He went a little beyond them. This is talking about Jesus. The most difficult night of his life. Right before he was going to be killed, he knew someone was going to come and he was going to spend the night in agony and in by, by noon the next day he was going to die. He went a little beyond them, fell on his face and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. God, don't do this. This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh saying, God, I don't want to go through this trial. I don't want to do it. And then he says, yet, not as I will, but as you will. That's, again, submitting our requests to God's will, saying, God, I want you to do this. Only if you want to do it. And he came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So you men couldn't keep watch with me for an hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Three times Jesus went and said, God, I do not want this test. I do not want this trial in my life. This is too difficult. I can't do it. But ultimately, I'm going to submit to your will. Whatever you want. But I'm going to have to depend wholly on you. You're going to have to get me through this. This is, this is the prayer. This is what we mean by complete dependence upon God. Because the fact of the matter is, trials are going to come. Jesus, I mean, Peter said that we just read, don't be surprised when trials come. We have trials in this life because we're living according to God. And God's worldview and the rest of the world doesn't function that way. So we are the salmon swimming upstream. It's hard work. It's, it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't flow with the rest of the culture. And it's difficult. And he says, so don't be surprised when you go through trials. But depend wholly upon God when you do. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into testing. That's authentic prayer because it's saying, I am too weak. I don't want to be tempted, but I'll do what God's will is, submitting to God's will. And then the second half of that says, deliver us from evil. Some versions say, deliver us from the evil one. The point in either case is the same. He's saying, I don't want to be tested, Lord, but if I am tested, I don't want to sin in it. Because that's when things get rough, and that's when it's hard to follow God. And so God, keep me from sinning. Deliver me from evil. It is fully dependent upon God to avoid the sin. It is Jesus and Jesus alone 
who can vanquish the devil. He has vanquished him. I can't beat Satan in the strength of who I am. Just can't. It's only in Christ and Christ working in me that I can resist him. It is full dependence upon God. I've been reading Proverbs uh, through this month, each, a chapter each day. I get backed up and then I read a couple, but mostly on track. I've been reading with some folks here through the little app U version. If you're interested in that, you can come talk with me afterward. I'll tell you about that. But one of the verses in Proverbs 17.3, it says this, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And the New Living Translation says it this way, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. See, when, when a silversmith or a goldsmith, and at least in biblical days, they wanted a pure metal, they would turn up the heat. And the heat would get hot and it would kind of liquefy that metal. And the hotter the fire was, the more impurities started bubbling to the top. And then the silversmith, the goldsmith, would, would take that, those impurities and scrape them off the top because they were easy to get to. And then they turned up the heat more and more impurities that they didn't see would start coming to the top, and then they could deal with those impurities. And, and so it was fire that dealt with that. And the point of this proverb is that the refining pot and the furnace allows the heat to make the metal more and more pure, but that's how God purifies us. Silver and metals purified by fire, and so are we. Just the fiery ordeals that Peter talked about. The fire turns up in our life. The furnace of our life turns up, and impurities start to rise up. And they run to the surface of our life so God can start dealing with them, and we can start dealing with them. And I tell you this, and I probably don't need to tell you this, it won't be a shock to anyone, your pastor's human. <laughs> I am the first audience of these sermons, and I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to preach that, because <laughs> i got to live through it. God usually gives me a taste about, about what I'm going to preach on, and I can tell you that he's been turning up the heat in the furnace of my life. And you might be saying, Oh, it's that house thing. Well, that's part of it. It's not all of it. Without going into a lot of personal detail, there's just things that he is doing in me that he's never done before, turning up the heat in my life, and there's impurities that come to the top, and I don't like it. It comes out, and it's not good. And it's like, God, i got to deal with it. I didn't know that was in me. I'm hoping I'm not the only one that this is happens to. Just just me. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Well, good for that support. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> See, God's working in me, and he's turning up that heat because he wants me to be something in the future. I don't know what. I don't know what he's doing. But if I don't deal with the things that are popping up because the, the furnace is hot, and the impurities are here right now, 
then I will not be what he wants me to be, and I won't be ready for what he has in the future. And it's not just me, this is you all as well. That he is working something now in you, and and those fiery trials and the issues that we have are so that him to accomplish what he wants in our life so that we are who he wants us to be at the right time to accomplish what he wants to then. See, if the, if the metalsmith doesn't deal with the impurities and he just turns up the heat and it comes and they all come to the top and then he just takes it off the heat without dealing with the impurities, it hardens that way. And you don't see the gold. You see all the impurities at the top and it doesn't look right. And it's not pure gold. But then... He can heat that up again and start, it's my understanding, and start dealing with those again. And it was my understanding that the goldsmith knew at the end of the day when he dealt with the impurities that it was pure if he could look into the refiner pot and see his reflection in that gold. And see, this is what Christ does. Those impurities start coming to the top, we start dealing with them, and we know that he is done working when he can see his reflection in us. And we become more and more like him. See, authentic prayer says, God, I do not want to be tested. (laughs) I don't. Please don't lead me into testing. But if your will dictates that I must, then please give me the strength not to sin. And when those impurities come up, I start dealing with them. And start addressing them in my life so that they are removed so you can see yourself in me. That's, that's authentic praying. That will change your prayer life, right? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is there an area in your, area in your life where God is turning up the heat? And you're in the refiner's fire and the impurities are bubbling to the top? And you're saying, man, I, I didn't know that was in me. And i got to address that. Because I don't like what I see. And I know Christ doesn't like what he sees. Allow God to point those out to you. Listen to him when he, show, when, he, when he speaks to those things in your life. Deal with them. Allow him to have the power in your life to remove those. Be completely dependent upon him and surrender it all. So listen, authentic prayer acknowledges you're completely and wholly dependent upon God. It's saying in this life, I can't do it. My, my sin is too great. It just starts bubbling to the top. But if I fully depend upon him, he can make me more like him. That's authentic prayer. Authentic prayer also is about the worship of God. Look in verse 13, the last part of it. It says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, some of you have that last part of 13 in your Bible, and some of you don't have that in your Bible. But all of you, whether you have it there or not, has a little footnote, little letter, little number, something there, that if you look in your Bible, it'll tell you in the margins that it was, it's there, it, that, that, that some manuscripts don't have it there. And I won't bore you with manuscript evidence and all this stuff. My point is, at the end of a prayer, normally a Jewish person would give some sort of benediction, some sort of, 
some sort of final praise to God. And Jesus did. I believe this is supposed to be there, so it's, so it's, it's there. And uh, the point is, this is about worship. Authentic prayer is about worshiping God. It's not about us. Prayer is not a shopping list. There was an artist by the name of Larry Bryant in the 80s who wrote a song, Shopping List. Uh, you probably never heard of it. I don't know. Lulu Roman sang it one time on Hee Haw, if you're familiar with that. Anyway, um, it was this idea that it's my shopping list. Give me this. I want that. Bless me, Lord, I pray. Grant me what I think I need to make it through the day, it says. And so he needs a car and a swimming pool because he can use it as a witnessing tool, he says. He wants all this stuff. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Because prayer was to this person about him. But prayer is about God. It's a worship to God. Yours is the glory, it says. Or yours is the kingdom. It's a recognition that God rules. God rules over all things forever. It may not look like he is at this point in time, but he is the ruler. He is the king of creation, and this is his kingdom, and he will rule. He has ruled in the past. He is ruling now. He will rule forevermore. This is his kingdom. And so we pray, God, we recognize you are the king. Remember what we said at the beginning. A kingdom is more about the king than it is about the kingdom. If it's a good kingdom, it's because the king is good. When he says, yours is the kingdom, it's saying, you are the king. That's what it's saying. Acknowledges he is ruling. Yours is the power. It's the recognition of God's omnipotence. He rules over everything because he is all-powerful. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing that God can't do. When we go to him in prayer, that's the access we have. Yours is the power. It's not my power that anything can get done in my prayers. It is because God is all-powerful, and I access him through prayer. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. He says, yours is the glory. It's a recognition that God will show his presence among the people. The glory of the Lord was a term that was used through all of Jewish life to talk about God's manifesting or showing himself to his people. When they said, yours is the glory, they were saying, God, we, you are going to manifest yourself among your people when you start answering prayers that we begin to see that he is going to show himself. And so when we pray, we're asking God to move, and, and he has then more and more opportunity to show himself in our lives. Because we pray, and he does something. And we pray, and he does something, and he says, see, I am walking with you through this. So he gets the glory. He's all-powerful, he rules, and he is holy and that's why we pray to him alone. We pray to him and no one else. Our prayer should be God-focused and not us-focused. It is all about him. The prayer begins with God. The prayer ends with God. And in between, it's all about him. <laughs> So I mentioned last week, we looked in verse 14 and 15. 
If you forgive others and your trans- for others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And I said it was just an amplification of verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. That's the idea that if we're withholding forgiveness, then how can we describe, how can we ask, if, if we are withholding forgiveness, and refuse to forgive someone else, how can we come to God in the fashion that Jesus described above? How can we go to him and say, you rule, and you're the all-powerful, but this person said something mean to me, and I'll never forgive them, even though you have. He's saying, man, if you don't understand forgiveness, if you don't understand sin, if you don't understand God's grace... You need to examine your heart because that's what salvation is all about. If we, refuse to, if we refuse to forgive somebody, the question is, have we ever been forgiven by God? Have we ever accepted God's forgiveness? Because someone who's been forgiven, all that we have done to God could surely forgive those who have done so little to us. That is the, really the, the idea of verse 14 and 15. So as we look at verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 9 through 13, it's the model prayer Jesus gives for authentic prayer. It's opposed to the scribes and Pharisees who prayed so that others would see. He says in the verses 5 through 7, instead of praying on the corner, go to the closet and pray this way. Go where you're alone with God, where there's no distractions, where no one is going to bug you and, and pray in this fashion. It's not just saying a formula. It's not just saying these hollow words, although these are not hollow words because they are the Word of God and there is power in these words. But if we're just saying these as some sort of ritual, they don't mean anything. But if we're saying it because it's God's Word, there is power there. It's not saying all these kind of fancy words in King James English and then saying in Jesus' name. That's not what prayer is. The model God has given us has outlined the picture that we are to color in with our circumstances. Say, here is the boundaries. Here's what it looks like. And when God's people pray, something happens. God works. We read in Scripture where people prayed and, and fire, Elijah prayed and fire came down and consumed a sacrifice conquering 850 prophets of Baal. We read that Elijah prayed. He was just like a man like you and I. He prayed and for three years it didn't rain. Then he prayed and it started raining again. We read in Acts where the, the people prayed, the church gathered together, prayed, and the place was shaken, and prisoners were released. And angels escorted people out of jail, and, and lame people started to walk, and, and ultimately, people were multiplied in the church. Not just added, not just one, two, three, but tens of, and hundreds of people began to add to the church. Because God's people began to pray. There's a song by Casting Crowns. It's called, What If His People Prayed? 
It might be more of a rock song than some of you might be comfortable with. If you're a hee-haw fan, like I said earlier, you may not like this particular song. Anyway, um, but I'll, I'll, let me read the words to you. Um, think, think about what would happen if each of us in, in this place committed to pray authentically. I know we got lots of people who pray here, great people who pray, but what would happen if we all committed to do this? This is what the song says. What if the armies of the Lord's picked up and dusted off their swords, vowed to set the captives free and not let Satan have one more? What if the church, for heaven's sake, finally stepped up to the plate, took a stand upon God's promise, and stormed hell's rusty gates? What if his people prayed, and those who bear his name would humbly seek his face and turn from their own way? And what would happen if we prayed for those raised up to lead the way? Then maybe kids in school could pray, and unborn children see light of day. What if the life that we pursue came from a hunger for the truth? What if the family turned to Jesus, stopped asking Oprah what to do? What if his people prayed, and those who bear his name would humbly seek his face and turn from their own way? He said that he would hear. His promise has been made. He'd answer loud and clear, if only we would pray. And then the song essentially quotes 1 Corinthians 7:14, where God says, And my people who were called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. And I'd remind you that in Israel, the land was always an object lesson for their relationship with God. If the land was fertile and fruitful and they were getting lots of food from it, it was because they were in right relationship with God. But when there was a famine and there was a drought and they couldn't get anything to produce from the land, it was because their relationship with God was just as dry and starving as the land was. And so when he says heal the land, he's not saying I'm going to make the man land moral. I'm not going to make it a Christian nation. He wasn't saying that. He's saying I'm going to restore our relationship if my people will humbly pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I will bring back that relationship and be in right relationship with you. Authentic pow- prayer is powerful. It's transformational. It's surrendering to God and humbling ourselves so that God can be worshipped. And so how is God speaking to you about your prayer life? Like I said, he's been turning up the furnace with me and he's showing me all kinds of stuff. You're not alone. But maybe there's something today you need to say, I need to commit today to restore this Relationship. I need to begin talking with God in a real way. Not just when certain people are around, or not just a certain time, like I'm going to say my meal and I'm just going to say grace, but a relationship with Him.
Maybe you need to commit to that today. Maybe you've never have a relationship with God and you want something that you can, you want a relationship where you can begin to communicate with him and talk with him and hear from him. You can, you can do that today by surrendering your life to him. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. How is God speaking to you? Is he asking you to trust in him for the first time to give your life to him so that you can be one of his and you can begin this communication we call prayer to develop that relationship? Are you a believer that have been just taking prayer as kind of a ritual, religious ritual that means nothing? Maybe you need to commit to having a real prayer life with him today. How is God speaking to you? God, I come to you. God, I, you know I don't have this all figured out either. But I thank you that you've been teaching me and growing me in this area. For years you have been, and I thank you for it. And Lord, I'm assuming that if you laid this on my heart, it's not just for me, it's for somebody else here. And maybe today someone says, I want a relationship with God. I need to turn my life over to him. Or maybe they've been wandering from the Lord for years and now they need to turn their life back over to you. God, convict them in such a way that they cannot leave this building before they turn their life over to you. There's a believer who wants to have a deeper relationship with you, wants to spend time really authentically pouring their heart out to you to see you work. God, show them what they need. Maybe someone's going through the refiner's fire right now and they just don't think they can make it. God, show them that you are walking with them. Show them the impurities that they can deal with so that you can begin to see yourself in them. God, just work however it is you want to work. And Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.